0: House of the Lord today and to worship with us today. If you're going to take your Bibles, please, into the book of James in chapter 4. James in chapter 4. It's a wonderful crowd today. God bless you for coming out. We are so grateful for that. Well, if you've been here or if you listened on the radio, you know for the last five weeks we have taken a look about how God planned Christmas. And we touched basis back in the garden in the book of Genesis. We move forward to the Passover lamb in Exodus. Then we visited Isaiah 53, the scripture that David used today. Then we jumped forward to the New Testament, Galatians chapter 4. And we finished up last week in the book of Titus in a sermon called Christmas Plus One. And it gravels down a little bit last week because of the snow. And I will encourage you to go to www.doorsfield.com And there's a link there that says click on this link and you can hear last week's sermon this week. So what do we do now? So we've spent all this time with God looking forward to Christmas which really was about redemption and really about the cross more than the manger, I thought it would be really cool if we spent the next five weeks now thinking about after the cross. What do you do once you meet Jesus Christ as Savior? So the next five weeks, we spent five weeks talking about salvation and God bringing us to the point of salvation. I want to take five weeks now and spend time with you talking about five different areas that we want to see God work in our lives. Now, here's the deal. Something I said last Sunday night, and I said again Wednesday night, let me repeat to you now. One of the great dangers in life is that as we are believers in Jesus Christ, is that we reach a point somewhere down the line, either through busyness or through maturity, that we think we've learned most of it. And we leave the service going, or coming to the service going, you know, what, what, what can I learn today? I, I kind of know it all. We're kind of like we turned back to being 16 again when we knew everything, and then we turned 21, and realized we didn't. So it's very important, really not just for this series, but for a lifestyle that we enter the worship time and say, okay, God, it's your word. What are you going to teach me today? So I want to encourage you, particularly in the next five weeks, as we look at five different topics that deal with the word if, if, as we do that, that you will remain teachable. Now, I thought it was interesting, a good definition of if. I went to the dictionary and found it. It's a conjunction used to indicate the circumstances that would have to exist in order for something or an event to happen. Um, if, if this is going to happen, then this has to happen. Um, you can go to the store with me if you want to. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So we see over and over again this word "if" appearing. And today we will take a look at James chapter four, verses thirteen through seventeen, and talk about today. Talk about tomorrow. Now, the sermon title today is Any Song." Now. First off, one or two things are probably going to pop into your head when you hear Annie's song. First, if you're my generation, probably about 1973 or 4, John Denver was real big, and he wrote a song entitled Annie's Song. You fill up my senses. That's not the right song, okay? We're not going to sing that song, Right? I had more in mind a little red-headed kid named Little Annie, Annie Orph- Orphan Annie, and how that she was the most optimistic person in the world. And she lived in an orphanage under horrible circumstances, and it's about how that she finally gets set free. She meets Daddy Warbucks, but in the midst of all that she was in, she sang a song about tomorrow, When something like this. It says, The sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun. Just thinking about tomorrow clears away the cobwebs and the sorrow till there's none. When I'm stuck in a day that's gray and lonely, I just check out my chin and say and grin, tomorrow, tomorrow, I love you tomorrow, you're only a day away. And that, listen, I'm all for optimistic spirits, but the truth is, that's not always the case. And I really hope that you are optimistic as you begin this new year. Because we as believers in Jesus Christ have all the reason to be optimistic. Well, Judy agreed with that. Let me try that one more time. I probably didn't say it right, you know. So we as believers in Jesus Christ have all the reason to be optimistic. Amen? Now, now, as we talk about tomorrow, today, I'm not speaking about being optimistic. I'm talking about the great danger of presuming on God and presuming about Tomorrow. So in James chapter 4, verse 13, we want to look first off this, this perilous preparation. Look at verse number 13 with me. And James chapter 4, verse 13, reading out the uh, English Standard Version today. Come now. Now, I did a little Greek research here, okay? And what James is saying here, looking from the Greek, is, hey, y'all. Can y'all say, hey, y'all? Hey, Hey, y'all. So he's getting your attention. Hey, y'all. He wants to get everybody's attention. And then he says this. You who say. Now those are key words. Now, sometimes you hear some person talking and they'll say something and you'll call their hand or something and you'll go, oh, I was just talking. Or, or you're, at, you're at school and somebody says something kind of mean to you, and come on, mom, somebody said something mean, oh, they're just talking. That's not the case here. This is huge. Because you see, in scripture often, when, when it says what we say, Jesus taught us something Luke chapter six, verse forty five. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So often our mouth is an indicator of what is in our heart. Now, as we read this verse, keep that thought in mind. James is saying, hey, y'all, y'all who say this. And he's going to give an indicator, he's going to make a statement, and it's an indicator of what's in this person's heart. Here's what he says. Hey, y'all, you who say Tomorrow or today, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Now, this is a huge statement. It reveals so much about this person, that this hypothetical person there. Look what he says. First off, today or tomorrow, that's when. This person has a plan. He knows when. It may be today or may be tomorrow, but he knows he's going to do something. And look at the action. We will go. We'll go. We are going somewhere. We're going to take action. We're going to do something. In fact, watch this. He knows where he's going. We're going to such and such a town. So here's a person who says, hey, today or tomorrow, we're going to go and we're going to a certain place. And I can tell you how long we're going to stay. About a year or so. And while we're there, we're going to go into business. And we're going to trade and sell. And we're going to make a profit. Now, that sounds good. I mean, the world would go, now that's a person who's going somewhere. That's a man with a plan. In fact, the world would applaud and go, all right, you, you've got it all together. In fact, if you're here today and you've got a, a daughter and your son, a, you know, a man wanting to date your daughter, and you, you say, well, let me tell you something. Tell me about yourself, son. Where are you going in life? He goes, well, let me tell you something. Today or tomorrow, oh, I'm going to such and such a city, and I'm going to stay there a year, and I'm going to get in business, and I'm going to make money. And most parents would go, I've been looking for you, man. You're just the kind of person I want my girl to marry. But here's the deal. What's missing? What's missing there? What's missing is God. See, God is not in that picture at all. But see, the truth is, that's, how the world, that's why the world applauds that's when, when you get, the, you often hear the Victorian speeches and all those different things. So, man, leave God out of the picture because they've been raised from the time they were this big that I can do it. It's all about me. I'm going to succeed. I'm the center of the universe, and God is left out. That's the way the world raised. But the crazy part is, often it's how we live too. Often, we sort of leave God out of the picture. may I be the first to greet you? May I be the first to welcome you today to the world of the practical atheist? See, a practical atheist is a person who may well say, I believe in God, but then turns around and lives as if there is no God. You know, it's incredible. I love love the word God because you're always learning something about it. And Psalm 14:1 and I guess I've preached five or six messages on Psalm 14:1. Here's what it says: "The fool has said in his heart, there is no God." The fool has said in his heart, there is no God." And I've often taught you that there's the medical physical, a metaphysical kind of atheist who physically denies God. But then there's that practical. Now if you've got a King James Bible. I know the King James, the New King James does this also. If you look at those words, there is, they're in italics. And you know what that means? That was added to the English translation to ease reading. So literally in the Hebrew, this verse says this. The foolish person, the fool has said, no God. No God. And so I've got my Holman Christian Standard Study Bible that my wife gave me. And I'm reading. I look down that verse at the footnote. And it said what I already should have known because I've preached this before. The context of Psalm 14 1 is for the practical atheist. It's not for the guy that you know, maybe at work, says, I don't believe in God. It's for people like you and I who live our lives, same with our mouths, we believe God, but practically, we do not. That's the world of the practical like this. And that's the world that James chapter 13 comes in. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a place or town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. We choose to ignore or to wall off God. I'm going ask you a question. Now, remember now, you've got to be willing to be honest and teachable. What major decisions... Have you made in your life, either in this last year or in the past, that you ignored or walled off or did not consult God? You don't know why why so many people say, I hate my career. You know why? Because there was a mommy or a daddy or a TV program or someone who said, you ought to go into this business. And so they spent their time in college or in technical school training for this, only to get to the end of the road and go, I don't like this job. You know why? You didn't consult the Creator. Because the Creator wired you for certain things. You, you want to know why there's so many people who are unhappy in marriages? It's because you looked at her and said, she's beautiful, I want to marry her. You forgot to consult God who goes, she's not a match for you. On and how many crazy, stupid financial decisions have we made? How many of you are sitting under the sound of my voice today, you are in financial bondage? Oh, you've got two nice cars and a great house to live in, but you spend night after night after night fussing and fighting about money. Not that you don't have a good job and she don't have a good job, but you made some crazy financial decisions. You know why? You forgot to consult God. I'm telling you, churches today are filled with people who live as practical atheists. We make huge plans. We make huge decisions. We choose our retirement plans, what we're going to do when we retire, our careers, our partners, what college we're going to go to, what college we're not going to go to, all on world's knowledge. And we exclude God. And that's cool if you're not a believer. But if you're a believer, can I be very candid with you? That's plum crazy. Plum crazy. So the world of the practical atheist is an happy and dangerous place to be, particularly for the believer. Then we move on down to verse number 14. James says this in verse 14, and this is what we call perilous presumption. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. We presume upon tomorrow. And yet we don't know what tomorrow will bring. James says, don't you think that's being a little presumptuous? Don't you think that's just a little bit arrogant as a believer? Because he's writing to believers. that, that you know, Don't you think it's a little arrogant to just kind of exclude God when you're a believer? See, the truth is, as he teaches us, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Judy was talking to a lady. Just casual conversation. And the lady made a comment, somewhere in the process, revealing her age, that she was 42 years old. And she said a story went something like this. I need a gallbladder surgery. So I went to the doctor, and we scheduled the gallbladder surgery. As a matter of course, before the surgery, she's there the day of the surgery, Brent. And so they say, so are you pregnant? She laughed and said, I don't think so. Well, we have to do the test anyway. Are you guessing where this story is going? 42 years old, and guess what? She's expecting a child. Do you think that was a little surprise to her? Do you think that she got the day before and said, you know what? I think another child would be great. Because we don't know what tomorrow brings. I asked Laverne permission to share this. How many of y'all think that Laverne Clayton, now Laverne Clayton, by the way, is hmm, years old. Okay? And Laverne's one of those people that walks all the time, watches her way, all those different things, has a positive spirit, all those different things. How many of y'all think that Laverne got up on December the 15th and said, you know what? I think I'll have a heart attack tomorrow. You know, I think it's, life is kind of boring with Bill. The zip's gone out of the marriage. Let's have a heart attack and get the passion back in. And yet the next day on the 16th of December at lunch, she had this massive heart attack and almost died. No clue about tomorrow. And what you've got to understand is that's true of your life. I promise you there are times in your life when you go, you know, something caught me totally off guard. It was this day and all of a sudden I didn't know what was coming and all of a sudden, bam, this happened. You know why? Because we don't know what tomorrow holds. In fact, can I be honest with you? You don't know you've got a tomorrow. Not one person here, no matter how rich or how powerful or how healthy or whatever, can you say, Tomorrow is guaranteed. We simply do not know. That's what led James to write and say, Yeah, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? Look what He says, Verse 14, for you are a mist, King James, you are a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. You, you know, when you, when you sit there and you have a candle and you snuff the candle out and all of a sudden there's this puff of smoke. Come back in 15 minutes. The smoke's gone. James says that's how our life is. It's very uncertain about Tomorrow. Job in Job chapter 7 and verse number 6 describes it this way. He says that my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Leave it for Job to be Mr. Optimistic. My days are as swift as a weaver's shuttle. Weaver's shuttle back and forth. Shoo, shoo, shoot, shoot, shoot. That's how Job counted his days. One, two, three, four, five, six. Our days fly by. I will to take your Bibles. And flip back to Psalm 90. Let's see what Moses had to say about this. We've heard from James. We've heard from Job. Let's hear from Moses. Now Moses, by the way, great man of God, lived to be 120 years old. He spent 40 years as a prince of Egypt, 40 years on the backside of a desert being a shepherd, and 40 years leading the people of God. And here's what he says about life. Lord you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. Now we've got a pause here. From eternity to eternity with God in the middle. That's vast. That's huge. He goes on and says this. You return mankind to the dust, saying, return descendants of Adam. Return to dust, descends of Adam. He says, God, it is you who calls the shots. See, some of you are, man, you are gray haired. Can I tell you a story? They say about 40 something, you start like this mortality thing. All of a sudden, you realize that you're getting older. It happened for me. I'll tell you what happened. It's my daddy's fault. He died when he was 62 good news is he was a -a three-pack-a-day smoker. I'm banking on smoking because I don't. And man, when all of a sudden about 42, Brent, I started thinking, I'm going to die. I'm probably going to die at 62. Do the math. That's like five years from now. I'm I'm, I'm freaking out about it. Let me give you some peace of mind. Short of you do something really stupid like shooting yourself. God's got your clock. He's calling the shots of when your days are going to be over. It's not cancer. It's not a runaway train. It's God. And God's the one who says, Go back to dust, you descendants of Adam. For in your sight, a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours Of the night. Now get this. Moses is saying, God, to you, a thousand years is like a day. A thousand years ago in earth time, we were fighting the Crusades, right before the Crusades. Go back that far. That's like a day to God. And then he says this, or like a watch a few hours in the night. He says, Moses says it's even worse than that. That a thousand years to God is like a few hours that a watchman pulls in the night. Now, watch this. If a thousand years is like a day or a few hours of watching the night and God is from eternity to eternity, how long are you going to live? 70 years? 80 years? 90 years? We don't know. But what Moses is saying, think about it. That regardless of how many years you have here, how many decades God gives you, it is a brief time. So if you only got a little bit of time, how are you going to spend it? I'll touch a little bit on what I'm going to share tonight. But are we going to spend that time amassing wealth that stays here? Houses that you get to leave behind? Cars that you get to leave behind? RVs that you get to leave behind? Or will we do the wise thing and invest in the things that live forever? It's a cool thing to live your kids an inheritance. Let me tell you something a whole lot cooler than inheritance that's a legacy. A legacy. We can go out to the cemetery, we can find huge monuments to men. But over here is a smaller headstone that says, he loved me. He loved God. He was a daddy. We can amass things here. Or we can do as Jesus encouraged and somehow send that wealth on ahead. And somehow in heaven's economy, it will be there. When we get there. Because you see. Our life here is short. And it vanishes. What are you going to do. With that time. He goes on and says in verse number 16. Instead. You ought to say. James says. In in view of that. Instead say. Now by the way. You'll notice that, that you ought. Isn't even in the Greek either. Instead say. Now, back up. Remember what we learned from Luke chapter 6, verse 45? Do you remember, Rhonda? What we learned in Luke 6, 45? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Say it with me. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, here's the deal. What James is fixing to say to us when he says these words. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. It's not. It's like the salvation prayer. There's no magic prayer that gets you into heaven. There's not a magic form that says, okay, well, I'll just say if the Lord wills. Well, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills. No, 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 no. It's the attitude of the heart. It's those words, if the Lord wills, spoken from a surrendered heart. A heart that says, God, I trust you. A heart that says, God, I need you. A heart that says, God, I'm depending on you. If the Lord wills, as the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Now let's just ask a hypothetical question. How would your life be different? How would your marriage be different? How would your financial situation be different? How would your career be different? How would your regrets be different if you'd done that at the beginning? If you truly, from a heart of surrender and dependence and trust, said, Okay, God, it's what you want, not me. It's your deal over mine. It's your will, not mine every time. How different would it be? Huge, wouldn't it? Because you see, God's really smart. Can I have an amen with that? God's really smart. And not only that, not only is he really smart, he created us. He knows how we're wired. Can I be honest with you? Some of y'all don't know this part of my story. I was in the Air Force, and I mean, I liked it. And at the 12-year point, now remember now, you retire at 20. So in eight years, I could retire from the Air Force and draw 50% of my salary for the rest of my life. I get medical benefits for the rest of my life. At that 12 year point, God says, I've got a different army I want you to join. I've got a different deal for you. And He calls me into the pastorate. What if I'd said, You really got to be kidding? Me. That's what my relatives all said. <laughs> when I told them I was getting out of the Air Force to join the preaching, they said, You are nuts. What if I said you got to be kidding? I don't think I don't think God would zap me. I don't think God said, "Oh, that is it. it." Call yourself a fly boy. I'll make you a fry boy. That's off top of my head. That was pretty good. No, no, you know what happened. Let me tell you what happened. He may have given me other chances. I don't know, but I just spent my last eight years in the Air Force, probably miserable. I would have got my 50% retirement, and I'd be drawing that today. And I'd be doing something. But nothing can compare to the privilege I have, the high calling I have of pastoring and teaching the Word of God. It's incredible. And God's been so faithful. And I just want to tell you that you can trust Him. You can depend on Him. You can believe in Him. His plan is always the best plan. Has it always been easy? No. I got out of the Air Force, and this is 1984, making almost $18,000 a year went down to a salary of $12,000 with no insurance, with asthma. I'm just telling you, God was faithful. Has anyone here experienced the faithfulness of God? Can I have an amen? Woo, come on. Yeah, we've experienced the faithfulness of God. It's not Dwayne. It's I did. I'm just telling you, God's faithful. God's faithful. So, so he says, listen, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. We need to adopt this attitude of Moses. And In Exodus 33, there came a point where God says, I'm just not going any further, y'all. I'm just not going. You know what Moses said to God? If you're not going, we're not going. Where you stay, God, is where we're going. What if we adopted that as our life motto? God, if you don't go, we're not going to go. I don't care what my friends say. I don't care what the counselor says. God, if you ain't going, I ain't going. How radically different life would be. How radically different life would be. See, I believe God's got a plan for us. I love this Psalm 37, 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He delights in His way. He, capital H. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and God delights in that way. He has a, he has a path for you to take. We heard the sermon this week. I said, Judy heard and I got parts from her. And, and the guy was talking about the fact that path, not intentions, lead to a destination. And if we don't end up at the right destination... We have got to follow the path God has for us. Because if not, we're going to end up at the wrong destination. Young people, for goodness sake. You sit there and you say, well, I want to have a good godly husband. Well, how about dating good godly men only then? How about that? I want to to have financial freedom. Then follow the Word of God where it says the, the, the borrower is servant to the lender. Understand that principle. Don't listen to your friends as they drive their Lincolns and their Cadillacs and live in their big homes. And every day they go home under pressure and pressure. Live and experience the freedom that God has in finances. Follow the path that God has given you to end up the destination that God wants for you. He said, "You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live to do this or that." That's the end of this. Prosperous, preventative. (laughs) David kind of chuckled at that one. We preachers work really hard getting these things to rhyme and gel up. He says in verse number seventeen and sixteen and seventeen, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. James says, "Can I just be honest?" He said, "From where I'm sitting." It's not happening. He says, you know, I, I, I'm, only, I'm only the half brother of Jesus. I only got to walk with him. But from where I'm sitting, it's just not happening. When you say, God is my deal, not your deal, God is my path and not your path, he says, that's arrogance. And and that arrogance, that boasting, is evil. Every time, every time you say, God, I'll handle it, God, I'll do it, you know what you're saying? God, I don't need you. And God, I'm smarter than you. I got news for you. You do need God, and you're not smarter than Him. We need Him. All such boasting, He says, is evil. Now, verse 17 was a verse I memorized, and I'm not a good memorizer. But a long time ago, now I thought I could learn to apply it better. It'd be a huge thing. Therefore, New King James. To him that knows to do good, and does it not, to him it is sin. Ouch. Let me clarify that for you. Is it a good thing to follow God? Is it a good thing to seek God? Is it a good thing to obey God's word? We could go on and on, couldn't we? So if we know these things are good... And we don't do them. According to James 4.17, what does that make it? Say it louder. Say it louder. Own it. I want you to understand something, folks. That, that these indiscretions of life that we blow off. That, you know, hey, I'm not a drunkard. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not outrunning the crowd. I don't have a drug habit. Come on. Give me a break, preach. God's just saying if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, when you know what's right to do and you don't do it, he says it's sin. And that's why we got to remain teachable. Because we have this huge habit of once we've been saved five or ten years, we get in our routine, we go, I'm cool, I'm cool. And God says, wait, wait. See, 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 it's not just not doing what's wrong. It's also doing what is right. And failure to do what is right is sin. It's sin. So James says, man, you've got to learn to do and practice what is right. So what, what's in it for me? I had the Sunday school class that this morning. What's in it for me? Think about it. Think about your marriage. Think about your finances. What, listen, mom and daddy, what do you want for your kids? I know. We all, we all want our kids to have more than we had growing up physically. I know that. But what do you want for your kids? Is there a mom and daddy here who would not want your child to be in a strong marital relationship that has got its middle? Isn't that really a desire of every parent? Don't we really want our children to grow up to be happy, productive citizens? I mean, yeah, we want that. Don't we want our kids to grow up with character? Don't we want our kids to grow up understanding financial principles? Don't we want our kids to grow up in love with Jesus? Sure we do. Sure we do. Then we've got to follow James. We've got to be willing to say, Son, daughter, it's not enough just to be a good planter and say today or tomorrow, we're going to go and we're going to a certain destination and when you get there, we're going to stay a year or so and the outcome is going to be guaranteed you're going to make money. There's way much more than money in life. A lot more than success in life. Teach your children and young people here today and adults, hear me! This is for everybody who's still breathing. Do we have any dead folks here today? Okay, we're all in the boat. We have got to be willing to say, God, I will follow your path. I need you. I trust you. I depend on you in every area of my life. Would you bow your heads right there where you are? What an incredible message to hear. Not because I preached it. but What an incredible message to hear on the second day of January, 2011. I mean, today is more uncertain than it's ever been, it seems, for so many people. The political scene in this world is crazy. Iran literally could be a year away from atomic weapon, nuclear weapon. Korea, we're almost certain, has those nuclear weapons. Our government is more in debt today, trillions of dollars in debt. Literally, if China were to call the notes that we owe to them... We would go under tomorrow. Many people today still losing their job. And and, and unemployment still almost 10% in our country. Then add that to the regular uncertainty of life. And the greatest thing I can share with you is forever. Is forever. One, to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. And to follow Him as passionately as you can. inviting Him into every decision. That you face You know often When an army is making an attack They always put an observer on the high ground To direct the attack We have an observer on the high ground And his name is Jesus Christ His name is Jesus Christ The invitation is this First I think it has to be for Jesus Now this message and the next four messages that follow it Largely are directed to those who I know Jesus Christ as Savior. But as much as they need to hear that. If you've never received Jesus Christ. The most important priority for us. Is that you know Jesus Christ as Savior. I know we didn't touch a lot on that today. But my friend Brent's going to be standing down front here in just a moment. A thing we call the decision time. An invitation time if you will. That might be a term some of you are comfortable with. And simply this. Dwayne. Brent, my life is uncertain. My life is crazy right now. I know one thing. I need God in the middle of it. If you'll come down front, we'll share with you what the Bible says about making a commitment to Jesus Christ, and inviting Him to be the Lord of your life, acknowledging that you have sinned against Holy God and His willingness to forgive you of that sin. That's the first part of the invitation. The second invitation is, Part of the invitation is this. The altar is open, yes. But inviting you to say, God, first Sunday this year, my plans I lay aside. And God, what you want is what I want. In my marriage, in my finances, in my career, my promotions or not promotions? Kids, what college I'm going to go to, who I'm going to marry, who am I going to date? God, it's your call, not mine. I'm going to make you a promise. And you can call my hand on it. If you include God in the major decisions of your life, your life may not be easy, but will always be best. Always be best. Because God makes no mistakes. Father, thank you for the privilege of sharing today your word. Father, this epidemic of practical atheism has just permeated our society. We are a people who so often say we believe you, but then we ignore you. And God, our lives and the disasters of our lives are evidence of that. I'm so glad you're forgiving. And if there's a friend here today who's never made that first commitment to you, say, Father, I know you wait to forgive him. Yes, you are holy and they are a sinner, but you made a way through your son Jesus Christ that all could come to relationship with you. Invite them today, Father, into that relationship. Now, God, for us, we your people, forgive the times, Father, when we've ignored you, when we've walled you out, and we live as if really you're not there. And God, can we just confess to you we made a mess of some things? we got marriages that are messed up and careers that are messed up and homes that are messed up. And even, Father, when things are going right, they're going wrong because we've excluded you from the situation. Lord, we need to be teachable today. I know this is hard to hear. And our first instinct is to put our hands up and say, whoa. God, I pray and will open our arms up and say, please come. Please come. Father, may we live differently in 2011. these areas than we did in 2010. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.